We are looking this morning to Romans chapter 3, several of the verses there, and I've got two different titles. The first title is the answer to the question, to the greatest question in the universe, or just simply justified. Justified. Father, we thank you for the reading of this portion of your word, and we ask for the teaching minister of the Holy Spirit to be upon us now. Give us ears and hearts to hear and receive. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a number of teachers and theologians and pastors who are fond of using the words acquit, acquitted, or acquittal when preaching about justification. A seminary professor who later became a pastor and other things in a room full of uh, students asked this question. True or false question? You're being asked a true or false question. It is in the cross of Christ that we find the only means whereby a sinner is acquitted before holy God. Now don't say anything. All the seminary class said, yes, that's true. It is in the cross of Christ we find the only means whereby a sinner is acquitted before holy God. And the seminary professor said, false. God does not acquit the guilty. God justifies the guilty. Words have meaning. And words like acquit and acquitted and acquittal are common in the courts of our land, and rightly so. Uh, Let's pretend for a moment that I am accused of a crime... I'm in court, being tried, and the crime that I'm accused of is that I have allegedly stolen $19 trillion that was supposed to be used to pay off a portion of the nation's debt. But after all of the evidence was in place and the arguments made and the dust had settled, The jury was unanimous. This man is not guilty. He is innocent on all accounts. And the judge slammed down his gavel and cried out, I hereby declare Mr. Bell to be acquitted of all charges. You're free to go. I'd been accused, found innocent, acquitted. I deserve to be acquitted because I had been falsely accused. Now, it should be obvious that such words do not fit the gospel. Why? Because before the judgment seat of God, no one is ever falsely accused and then acquitted, innocent of all charges. 
Rather, the whole human race is guilty and deserves only the just sentence of God's justice and wrath. However, in God's gracious salvation to guilty sinners, those who flee to Jesus Christ are regenerated, given life, redeemed, forgiven. All who are in Christ are justified. And not only forgiven, but also credited with the righteousness of Christ. All of this to prepare us today for the Lord's table. The doctrine of justification deals with the question of how God, who is absolutely holy, can allow sinners such as you and I into his fellowship. It's no small task. In Romans 3.26, we're dealing with the greatest question of the universe. How can God be just and the justifier of sinners? We sinners have two problems. And no solutions. The penalty for sin must be paid in full. God's nature and law requires satisfaction for all disobedience. And we have nothing with which to pay. And a lot of people in America, in and out of the church, who feel quite good about themselves. You think you're going to heaven? Well, yeah. Better than those hypocrites. As good as those hypocrites. I'm not a bad person. The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. God requires perfect obedience, and we are miserable rebels. We have all sinned. We have a debt we cannot pay. We have a life we cannot live. But wonder of wonders, God the Father justifies the sinner who, pleased, who flees to Christ. God declares that person righteous solely on the basis of Christ's perfect obedience and his death on the cross. Many times we leave out his perfect obedience. But if Jesus was not tempted and tested at all points as we, and without sin, we would have no Savior, his death on the cross would mean nothing. The sinless Son of God went to the cross to pay our sin debt. Christian, you're not righteous in yourself, but you are declared righteous by God. And many people do declare, who do, do declare themselves righteous. I'm a good person. I've always been a Christian. I'm a baptized Baptist. I know I'm in. I believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in Jesus. I have to be in. The devil believes in Jesus. He ain't in. Not even close. Nice sounding words. In a proper context, there's some beautiful truth in them. But if you have never been convinced and convicted that you are a hell-deserving sinner, you have never been saved. True salvation is for sinners. You may have to have certain qualifications to join this club, that club, some other club, Corners Club, Lions Club. 
Helping little ladies across the street, I don't know. But to be a Christian, you have to be a sinner first. And the Holy Spirit will convict you that you are a sinner without hope and without God. It doesn't matter if you are better than the hypocrite. You're both sinners. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, when a sinner flees to Christ by God's amazing grace, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to you. This is why Paul's word to the Ephesians is so precious. We are accepted in the beloved. Martin Luther liked to explain justification in uh, what sounds like a rather quaint or unique way to us. And I know that many of you didn't, did not take Latin or Greek or any of those stuff. In fact, I don't even know what language this is. <laughs> Simul justus et peccator. That's his description of what justification means. Is I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, simul is the word from which we get the English word simultaneous. Eustace is the word for just or for righteous. Now, we all know what the little Latin word et, E-T, means. It's the past tense of the verb to eat. Have you at dinner yet? No, actually the word et means and. Peccator means sinner. So Luther was saying in our justification, we are at one and the same time righteous or just and sinners. And he's right. In Christ, we are justified, but at the same time, we still sin. We're no longer in the bondage of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are now new creation in Christ. But if, he's, if there's anyone who says he has no sin, he's a liar. First John tells us. At the heart of the gospel is another word. They're words that we should know. Oh, I don't like big words. Well, get over it and learn some big words. They're good for you. Imputation is a powerful, important word in helping us to understand the gospel. My sin is imputed or charged to Jesus. On Jesus is laid my sin. And his righteousness is imputed or charged to me. That's the essence of what it means to be saved. Double imputation. God does not pretend that sin doesn't matter or it never happened. God does not compromise his holiness or his justice in order to save sinners. At no point does God acquit the ungodly sinner. Rather, sin's penalty must be paid. And God sent his son to take the punishment. The sinner's sin is laid on Jesus. Let us not come to this table flippantly. We can come with a spirit of rejoicing, but there is a sense, a strong sense of 
solemnness. We have this table only because Jesus went to the cross to pay our sin debt. He owed no sin debt. Death had no claim on him. So why did he die? Because he took upon himself our sin. So that God could be both just and the justifier. Christian, you stand in the profound blessing of the greatest transaction that has ever been made on earth. There's all kinds of transactions are made in our world, but nothing compares to this. Your sin went on Jesus, and his righteousness has been given to you. Sinner, those outside of Christ, your only hope is that you would flee to Christ and have your sin laid on Jesus. Laying them on excuses, laying them on... I'm French-Irish, laying them on, I was born this way. People have all kinds of, well, I was born this way. You were born a sinner, yes. And that's a problem. And you have no way to conquer it. You have no way to pay the sin debt. But in Christ, your sins are laid on Jesus, and his righteousness is given to you. It's a dual exchange. I'll keep repeating myself. Because we need to make sure we know this. Jesus receives the sinner's sin and the believing sinner is given the perfect righteousness of Christ. Now let's think of some applications of this that will impact us on Monday morning. First of all, God's justification is a once and for all, one time only act of God. Once you are in Christ, you are fully and perfectly righteous before God. You'll never be more righteous. You'll never be less righteous. Because it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. And he doesn't change. It's not based on anything that you have done, will do, or don't do. It's solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. Therefore... We are never more or less righteous than the moment we were first justified. And we are never more or less justified based on how we live today. God accepts us on the merits of his son. Thus, I can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. There's not a single one of us here as believers when we have failed the Lord and we have the guilt And we hear those voices. Well, you can't come to the Lord now. You can't pray now. You can't come to the Lord's table now. Look what you did this week. As if we could earn our way back to the table. Or earn our right to go to the throne of grace and prayer. We never have a right in and of ourselves to do any of that. But in Christ, we're forgiven. We're cleansed. Our sins are laid on Jesus. There has been a a double transfer. Our sins placed on him. His righteousness given to us. I don't have to crawl my way back to God. You say, if all that's true, then I'll just go and sin like I want to. No, you won't. Because when you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you. You're God's holy temple. And if you start down that track, the Holy Spirit will work on you, convicting you. And if you don't pay attention, he will chasten you. He will even bring you home early. That's what the Bible says. 
This is all critically important. So, I'm going to keep being repetitious. When a man by faith lays hold of Jesus Christ and his merits, he discovers that God imputed, charged, credited that person's guilt or sayings, past, present, and future upon Christ once and for all. And God has also charged and imputed, credited Christ's perfect righteousness to that sinner. A double exchange. A miracle is, is experienced when we, by the grace of God, repent and believe. So now, the Father sees us in the Son. He accepts us in the Son. When he sees us, he sees his Son's righteousness. His Son's perfect righteousness. And any Christian... Realizing this core essence of the gospel, would you not agree that that's a humbling thing? Oh, Lord God, wow, look what you've done for me. That's why the scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And there are many people in the, from the pulpit to the back pew who have no love for Jesus. They have love for religion. But no love for Jesus. No heart to follow him. No desire to please him. No conviction when they don't. It is God who has justified me. No charge, no condemnation against me. God declares me righteous. He sees me in his son. I'm clothed in his righteousness. This is why some of the theologians call the righteousness which we have in Christ as an alien righteousness. It didn't come from us. It came from God. It's not by me. When, a, when, the, when by grace the guilty sinner believes on Jesus, God puts the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to his account. What's on your account? Do you sit here today, by the grace of God, you can honestly say, the blood of Jesus Christ is on my account. I can look back, I may not remember the time or the place, but I know that I came to Christ. I was brought to repentance and I cried out, like the publican in the scripture, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The religious man said, I'm glad I'm not like those sinners. And I tithe, and I do this, and I do that. And Jesus warns that in the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done wonderful works in your name? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. The one who is in Christ is humble and filled with gratitude. Now, in this passage that was read, there are several big words. We don't use a lot. We need to use them more. Giant words. And found in verses 21 through 28 of Romans 3. And one of them we've been talking about, justification. You know what the reality is? That many people live under the bondage of a performance trap. They're always trying to be good enough but never succeeding. Or they're full of pride. 
and feel like they have, have succeeded when they have not. And they hold others, others under bondage. You have to meet what they want from you or else they don't like you. The performance trap. But because of God's justification, redeemed sinners are fully forgiven, fully accepted in Christ, fully clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're free. We're loved. And we don't attempt to hold others under any kind of performance trap. Because we know that the only performance that works is Jesus' performance. And we're trusting him. The word reconciliation. Many are living under the bondage of being approval addicts. They fear rejection. They'll do anything to have approval. They'll even give their bodies away to have approval. But because of reconciliation, the believer is now a full member of the body of Christ. Once I was hostile, once I was alienated from God, but now I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled, I am in Christ, I'm in family. I'll always be accepted, having God's approval. I don't need to impress you. I don't need to try to get you to impress me. I'm not looking to try to be popular or accepted because I'm in Christ. I'm a redeemed child of God. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a laborer together with Christ. I'm happy to be friendly with you, but I'm not dependent upon you for my significance. I guarantee you, pastors all over the land survive by seeking significance from the people. And by that, they can climb the ladder. It's a tricky ladder. Ain't no good. Propitiation. Many spend their lives playing the blame game. Trying to escape their own failures. Trying to explain away their failures. Trying to point the finger of accusation at others. Trying to blame stress or nerves. I'm not denying that there is some reality in a fallen world in these areas. But people live in these planes. And they don't feel like they're worthy to be forgiven. They struggle not only with forgiveness but in giving forgiveness. But because of propitiation. The wrath of God has been settled. Has been paid for. The sinner, saint, child of God knows what it is to be loved and forgiven. God wants you to wake up every morning, child of God, thrilled, amazed, rejoicing. I may have a lot of things that are difficult in my life, but I got the big ones down by the grace of God. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. My sins have been propitiated the holy wrath of God that I deserve has been laid on Jesus he paid it all we need to drink deeply of the biblical teaching of justification reconciliation propitiation knowing that your love forgiven accepted and pleasing to God because of Jesus and it's all rooted in regeneration 
which means to be born again, new birth. The person who flees to Christ for mercy and grace would not only be justified, completely forgiven, made pleasing to God because he is pleased with us because he's pleased with his son, reconciled, totally accepted by God, propitiated, the wrath of God satisfied, but regeneration, made brand new, given new life. That horrible first chapter of our biography in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where the Holy Spirit is reminding the Christians at Ephesus of who they were and what they were, Living in sin, dead in sin, living according to the course of the world, living under the thumb of the devil. And to top it all off, children of wrath, even as others. Said many times, and I need to be reminded myself. And it's a good time as we come to the Lord's table. How in the world can you escape that? You and I have nothing to escape with. The Holy Spirit moves Paul to write, but... God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, quickened us, made us alive, brought us from death to life. Flee to Christ, there's no other way. Christian, preach the gospel to yourself often. Encourage one another with these gospel words. Romans 8.33 says, Who will bring any charge against those whom the Lord has chosen. It is God who justifies. Oh, glorious redemption. Oh, miraculous justification. And we celebrate that as we come to the table. So as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, each one of you has to be carrying on conversation between you and the Lord. And I do as well. You say, well, I'm a member of this church. I'm fine. Well, I hope you are fine. But being a member of this church on a, on a temporal, physical ledger may not mean anything. The question is, Have I ever personally been convicted of my sin? I blame no one. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. No one else is to blame for my sin. There may be others who have encouraged you to sin and and put dangled sin in front of you, but you chose out of your own heart. You sin. We sin because we're sinners. We have wicked hearts. Heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it, the Bible says. God saves sinners. He doesn't save the righteous. So if you're here thinking about, well, I, I, I think I'm good enough, and I think this, and I think this, and, and, and no, I'm a sinner. Can you sit here today and say, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit at some point brought me seriously to the fact I'm a sinner. And then he showed me Jesus. He's said many times, you go back to the Old Testament experience. Here is a, a brass pole. 
here is the nation of Israel all dying because the poison of serpents are in their veins. And God in his mercy has made a provision that if they would look away from themselves and look at that serpent, and that serpent was symbolic of admitting, I'm a sinner, I've got the poison of the serpent in my veins, I can do nothing about it, my only hope is in what God can do. I'm turning away from myself, I'm beholding the provision of God. That's my hope. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man is lifted up. And we lift up before ourselves today Jesus Christ on the cross. This is something he did outside of us. He did it 2,000 years ago, but it still is valid today. And you look away from yourself and you cry out, Oh, Lord God, I have the poison of sin in my veins. And I'm spiritually dead and I'm going to a bad eternity if something doesn't change. Oh, God, be merciful to me. And the Bible says, all that looked lived. There were probably some very nice people around. And this part is not in the scripture. It was just based on human nature. There were probably some people cuddling dying people in their arms. Being sympathetic to them. But doing nice stuff. But they're dying. There were probably some strong men who lift weights every morning and, and run miles and, and do whatever. And, and they're killing snakes, but people are still dying. And I'm sure there were some who were looking to Moses. Moses, Moses, save us. And they're still dying. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. And that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look and live. Behold the Lamb of God. You are a sinner. The only question is, are you a saved sinner or are you one still dead in your sin? If you are a saved sinner trusting only in the blood of Christ and his righteousness, then come to the table today. If you can, in all honesty before God, come. Use this time to carry on holy telegrams between you and the Lord. Oh, Lord God, I see in a deeper way than I've ever seen. I am a sinner. I don't... I'm not going to sit here and promise you, uh, if you'll do this and this, I promise you I'll never sin again. That's foolish. That's not the way of salvation. Promising God of something you're going to do. The way of salvation is turning away from yourself to behold what he has done. And he alone can do it. Oh Lord God, if you don't save me, I won't be saved. But I'm crying out to you, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And dearest child of God, we should be greatly thrilled and amazed at the grace of God. Son, son, the wonderful, amazing grace. That's what it is. This is a grace table. And so as we come to the Lord's table, it's a grace table. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's all sufficient because it's all about what Jesus did. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our Father, have your way in every heart. 
We bless you that you are at work in the hearts and lives of your people and those who, who you are calling to yourself. And as we come to the table, may it be a time of great solemnness, but also a time of amazing rejoicing at the grace of God. Have your own way in every heart. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.